Hey chocolate lovers, with 2021 in full swing, I've made it a point to only conduct interviews with a specific topic in mind. This month's focus is on structuring and building a socially conscious business. One person I know has been doing that for over a decade is Aaron Andrews, founder of Indie Chocolate. Based in Seattle's Pike Place Market, Indie is one of the oldest craft chocolate companies in the U.S., although they didn't actually start out selling chocolate, but we'll get to that. Erin is an absolute force within her local community and craft chocolate as a whole. In this episode, we'll get into topics like working at Origin, slave-free chocolate, and community-based business building. So without further ado, here's my interview with Erin Andrews. My name is Erin Andrews. I have always been a chocolate lover for as long as I have memory. I uh, started my chocolate journey actually when we were in Belize as a family, my young daughters, and we did a chocolate week in Belize, learning about where chocolate grows on trees and how chocolate's made and made our first batch of chocolate and met two people down there that wanted to start a chocolate business with me. So I literally, from that chocolate week, started my journey on the career of making chocolate. So I started Cotton Tree Chocolate in Belize, making bean to bar chocolate. The cooperative there was the cooperative that Green and Blacks used when they really started the landmark work that they did on fair trade and better prices for farmers in, on the cooperative level there in Belize. Subsequently, they got bought by Cadbury and the Mondelez, and all the great work that was originally done kind of undid itself. But we started when Green and Blacks was still there, and... We would put our head in every bag of beans and figure out if we wanted that bag or not. Because as soon as those bags were, were sewn shut, they belonged to green and black. So we couldn't buy them or, or use those beans. So it started very small, very hands-on in Belize making chocolate. But I didn't live in Belize. And so eventually uh, I realized I love this, but I need to do it closer to home. And about that time... My daughter, Sienna, had a really bad reaction to body care. She, it was really, really very intense. And I started looking at what the ingredients of what she was using. And I realized that there were a lot of things that were banned in the EU, like neurotoxins, uh, that we can use in our body care here in the U.S. So I wanted to make something that she could use and would love, but didn't have all the nasty ingredients. And based on my experience in Belize, I knew cocoa butter was really great to work with. And so I started making lotion and lip balms for my daughters. And that's actually how I started in chocolate. I like to say I'm the most backwards chocolate company in the world. And that I started a chocolate company without chocolate. We started with lotion and lip balms because people kept asking, could I buy your daughter's lip balm or her lotion or would you make me one? And once you start getting asked that a lot as an entrepreneur, you realize there's an opportunity. So we literally launched Indie Chocolate in 2010 with lotion and lip balms. Knowing all the time that I wanted to make bean to bar chocolate here in the United States as well, but that's a lot more of a capital investment to make bean to bar chocolate. I could make lotion and lip balms in my home, which is exactly where I started. So my path to bean to bar chocolate company for the second company was a little bit more circuitous than a lot of other chocolate companies, I'm pretty certain. 
And just to give a bit more context in terms of dates, this was back in 2008 that you started Cotton Tree Down in Belize, right? It is, yes. 2008 was when I started Cotton Tree Chocolate, and 2010 is when I started Indie Chocolate. It's quite a roundabout health journey to get to chocolate. Usually that comes through sugar and trying to reduce your sugar intake or getting into dark chocolate. But you got into it when your youngest daughter had a, a reaction to an ingredient in skincare. Yes. My first intention wasn't to start indie chocolate with lotion and lip balms. Uh, my first thought was that I would start it with chocolate. It's just the body care hit. And we just had so many people love it and want it that I thought, okay, I will start with this because it's a lot easier cash flow wise to start the body care part of the business before the other bean to bar chocolate making part of it. But I think the thing that was also really great about starting with body care is that I realized that there's so many different ways other than just a chocolate bar or truffle to make people fall in love with cacao. And so I think that that initial experience was actually really wonderful in that it always makes me challenge myself about how can I surprise people and delight people with cacao in different ways that they've never thought about. So, you know, one of the things with COVID is you listen to all the advice is you should be washing your hands frequently. We have soap. Um, it's really great soap and it's perfect thing to use with COVID when you need to wash your hands a lot. It's a cocoa butter based soap as well. And so a way that I continually challenge myself is how do I find something new that somebody else isn't doing that's surprising and delightful. And so that's what got us into the, the teas that we make and the spice rubs that we make with cacao. And we do a lot of things that are what people think are very different and not what they're expecting when they come into a chocolate store, but something that I'm extremely proud of because our products are really great, but they're not what you find in your typical chocolate store. Well, this part of the reason that I actually wanted to talk to you specifically was because you do have a relatively unusual into the chocolate world. You've also been around for a while and you have a lot of business savvy. And I wanted to talk to someone who has a pretty good blueprint that they've definitely forged themselves and could inspire some other people to be starting more companies at origin or just cacao based companies in general. What was the overlap with Indian Cotton Tree? Once you started Indy, how much longer were you still with Cotton Tree? I know you've separated from the business. Yes, I actually subsequently sold to one of my partners. I had a little over three years. It's actually when we're really coming into Pike Place Market. Uh, Pike Place Market has a rule that you can't be in a multiple locations. You can't be a chain, things like that, and come into Pike Place Market. So actually the reason why Starbucks is in Pike Place Market is because although they had had stores previously, the one that they have in Pike Place Market was their only store when they came into Pike Place Market. Same with Sur La Table. Wow. <laughs> so, um, but you know, people think of Pike Place Market as a tourist destination, but it's really a community. And I think there's no better time to really appreciate that than during COVID. And it's just really been so inspiring about how people support one another. I mean, it's been a privilege and an honor. I mean, when the flower vendors that Pike Place Market is famous for couldn't come to the market and sell their flowers because of COVID lockdowns, we were able to, because we're a cafe, sell their flowers for them. 
And so it really is about community and working together and collaborating. And I think that my advice to people that are thinking about being in business, especially small business owners, is look for ways that you can collaborate with others. Um, some of the best things that I do, like my teas, I've worked with my tea maker for, oh my gosh, uh, at least eight or nine years now. We're really great friends. We, tra we traveled to the fancy food show last January together in San Francisco, did a road trip together. But, you know, you meet wonderful people and he's a tea specialist and I'm a cacao specialist. And when we came together, it took us over six months to develop our tea line. And we wouldn't change a thing now because it's really a fantastic product that I could have never come up with on my own. And he is just, he, he is such a perfectionist and such a tea lover, and he knows the nuances of flavors and teas. And teas are really hard because unlike chocolate that has a lot of fat in it that is really amazing on the tongue, teas are very thin. And to make a really flavorful, really nuanced tea is extremely difficult. But by doing things like collaborating with people that are really good at what they do, allows you to do things better and, and really explore that creativity, I think, at a much higher level. And that's what keeps me charged and going. And one of the things I absolutely love about indie chocolate and about meeting the people that love cacao and chocolate like I do as well. It seems like you've been pretty involved not only in building your own businesses, but in helping other people's businesses become more integrated and become a part of the community. I mean, for people who are working on a business plan, either starting or expanding a cacao-based company, what is some advice that you might give them just starting a brand in general? Yeah, well, I, that's a big reason why I sell the equipment that I do. Uh, we sell a $260 machine that makes chocolate. We, I start a lot of people just making it at home. We have a during COVID, we made it a virtual class where we send the machine and all the ingredients to make chocolate at home. And the thing that I think is that it's great to have a growing community of makers because it's about education and it's about educating people about why you want to have craft chocolate and, and the good things that craft chocolate is doing in the world. And so my advice to people is to start small. Um, you know, I say you're going to burn your beans at least once. Uh, hopefully you check it off and you only do it once, but you know, once you've done it in a small batch, what you don't want to do again. And so when you start small, the cost of doing that is reasonable. When you get, as people get really large, as far as companies, a batch gets more and more expensive as you grow and scale. So I'd say learn what you're doing on a small scale before going and trying to go on a really large scale. I have helped out people that thought that they wanted to launch directly into a very large business. And it's very hard to do that because there's a lot of learnings that happen on a small scale that are a lot more reasonable uh, costs to recoup than to go immediately into a very large scale business. How would you explain the stages of building up a retail store as you have over the past decade or so built up your own? Yeah, well, I mean, COVID makes things very interesting as far as that's concerned. So Seattle, just to give you a little context, is Seattle is one of the first places in the United States to really feel the impact of COVID. Um, I knew last January that something was different. 
I didn't know what it was, but I could, there was just something that was different. And then we had our first case in Kirkland, just outside of Seattle. And that's really, really, you know, the U.S. really awoke to COVID. And so because of that, we didn't have a single cruise ship in the port of Seattle last year. And that generally brings a billion with a B of revenue to the local economy. So um, COVID makes any retail experience a little bit trickier. Um, and so, you know, as they always say, location, location, location. The difficulty is if people aren't traveling, what do you do? Um, and so looking at if you want to start a, a retail location, understanding that things like COVID can really throw a monkey wrench in it. But the other thing about it is, as I said, Pike Place Markets is not just a tourist destination. It's also a community. And so we've just had the most loyal, wonderful people and customers coming back to us again and again and knowing that, you know, that's what keeps the local business there is local support, as well as, you know, thankfully, because we've had so many years going and we have uh, our online sales is that people, people that know us have supported us from further away, too. So that's been really helpful. And we're just so appreciative for that support because it is it's tricky. And, and the word of 2020 and it's still the word in 2021 for small business owners is pivot. Um, and, you know, sometimes you feel like you're pivoting so much your head is spinning. But it's important to realize that, you know, things do change and you need to change with them. Sounds like your advice would be and in, in your explanation would be that the first stage of building up some kind of retail shop would be to build a community around your brand and just community support. Absolutely. Absolutely. But also like, you know, a lot of people will make chocolate at home, realize exactly how much fun it is, which is a lot of fun. And it's great because your friends all of a sudden are wanting to come over all the time and have chocolate, which makes it a little harder in COVID. But the thing I think is as well is to, to start and build that slowly as far as that loyalty as much as you can as well it's being there for people it's being there a lot of people start like at a farmer's market with a lower where you have a lower overhead to start to build that community because the other thing about it the thing that i've always loved is i've always done direct to consumer and um, i know a lot of people that start off with, with wholesale but for me direct to consumer is because i love to watch the consumer of our chocolate, of our lotion, of our teas, try it, to enjoy it. And enjoy is one of my favorite words because I love to see that joy expressed when people experience the lotion on their skin for the first time and smell that and, and taste the chocolate. It's really something that you can viscerally watch. And for me, that's why I've always loved working directly with our consumers. It keeps me going. And so, People need to understand when they're starting a business what they want to do, what's what's really their joy and passion. And for some people, that might not be as much of a joy or passion, but understanding what keeps you going, what keeps you happy, I think is important when you consider your business model. Like some people really enjoy making chocolate, but really don't want to interact with their consumer and they just want to sell online. Those are different choices that as an entrepreneur, you get to make. That's the beauty of entrepreneurship. 
But for me, the path that I chose drives me forward in a way that I know that I'm helping others. I'm getting, bringing joy to people and I get to see that. That's one of the things that sparks my not only curiosity, but also my ability to want to try to find something new that they're going to love that they're not expecting the next time. You also, you started off in the corporate world for a long time. Yes. I mean, how do you think that that accounting and the corporate kind of background has affected how you built up your business? Well, uh, I had to explain when I started at Cotton Tree Chocolate with my partners, I said, I have this experience and it's going to sound like something really crazy. I'll explain it, but bear with me and I'll tell you why we want to do that. And that experience was when I was a senior manager at PricewaterhouseCoopers, I worked on the first FDA validated SAP implementation. There's a lot of acronyms there, sorry. But what that means is the Food and Drug Administration looked at this implementation that was done for the flu vaccine. And so we could trace the eggs and what farms they were from that were going to be inoculated with the flu vaccine all the way through to the vials and the boxes and where they sat on the shelves of where that flu vaccine was sold and was going to be administered and used. And that sounds really very different than anything you'd ever do in chocolate until you think about your supply chain. And so what I wanted to be able to do is I wanted to be able to say, okay, we have a chocolate bar. What if we could, what if when you bought that chocolate bar, you could open it up and we could say, oh, these are Wancho's beans. And these are the days that he harvested the pods. This is how long he fermented in what days and how long it took to dry. And then we could tell you, and Helica made this chocolate bar for you, um, and how long she refined it and at what temperature she roasted the beans at. I wanted that total traceability in our chocolate bars down to the farmer. And so I had to explain this to my business partners. So they didn't think I was just absolutely insane, but really what I wanted to be able to do is really share the story of the chocolate bar. And they said, okay, we'll give it a try. And it, what was really fun to me in a very unexpected way uh, was that the farmers themselves were buying the chocolate bars and they would open it up and they'd say, well, where are my beans? And, you know, <laughs> they didn't get their own card in it. So it was really fun. And it was just kind of this community building experience. So Although I had very different experiences in the corporate world, it's been really enjoyable and delightful for me to see how they connect back into chocolate. Um, and so many of the lessons and the things that I learned, you know, I am my own accountant, unfortunately, uh, through COVID. But that experience of, an, of accounting while I was at PricewaterhouseCoopers has also been very helpful as a small business owner. So I feel like although it doesn't necessarily always seem like it's fully transferable, it's transferable in very surprising ways. I think most people's previous careers, especially when they are uh, coming from such a different industry, often are reflected in their business models, especially like look at Askinosi, for example, pretty well-known chocolate yes. company, started a year before Cotton Tree and ended up having a somewhat similar model insofar as featuring the farmers quite distinctly, but I'm sure you guys didn't have that much overlap considering they were quite small back then. You were only in Belize. and but. Yeah, actually I was on, a, I was on a phone call with Sean Askinosi today. <laughs> uh, he is somebody that I find to be very inspiring, somebody of such high integrity, even from when he first started, 
I like to do a lot of research. And so his was definitely one of the first bars that I thought, wow, this is really different packaging. And, you know, I think you're right about people's previous experience really coming into play, you know, because a lot of chocolate makers were actually previously graphic designers or in that realm. And you can see that in their packaging. That's probably another way that I've been very backwards as a chocolate maker as well, is that so many people focus so extremely on the packaging. And, you know, I'm an environmentalist. I'm in the Seattle Zero Waste Group. And I struggle because I'm in two businesses that are the most packaging intensive, and that's chocolate and body care. And I'm thinking, like, how did I get myself into this that there's so many extremely bad practices as far as packaging that is not biodegradable and things like that. So it's something that I'm always working on. Like, how do I make improvements? I was at a show in Brazil a few years back and I was walking by a table and I literally just walked backwards and I said, what? Tell me about this packaging. The next morning I was calling my designer that I've now started working with and said, I know you're going to hate me, but I'm picking up this packaging and I'm going to bring home as much as I possibly can, but I need you to send the logo to them. Because I feel a little bit like a Portlandia skit is that it's a sustainable palm frond grown in the Amazon that these, these villagers harvest the palm frond, make the, make the, the material, the box, and then they stain it with the acai that they grow there, which is native there. And they make this packaging for me. And it's one of those things where I knew I'd never, ever find this again if I didn't get it right there. But I'm always looking for like, how can I do this better? Because we're dealing with something in chocolate that everybody wants something that's beautiful, food safe, double covered generally. So you have a nice reveal of the chocolate bar. But as an environmentalist, I really struggle with how do I do things sustainably yet beautifully. reflecting upon stuff like that, those kinds of finds, and then ideas that maybe your customers have given you in the past, the isolation of the pandemic, what sorts of business or product avenues, even maybe like niche sorts of things, have you considered getting into, but eventually decided against? One that I've really been contemplating for a while, for a long while, is actually doing a CBD version of our lotion. And the reason... I want to do CBD is not because it's fashionable. My mom has arthritis. We've lost a few family members to cancer. And CBD is really helpful. And it would be something really nice to do for people that truly need it, not just because it's a niche, cool, flash-in-the-pan sort of thing. It's been so much trying to figure out the regulations to make sure everything is done appropriately well and that everything is above board and legal has been kind of the sticking point for me instead of bringing that out like I would like to. So that's one that I think that eventually we will still get to, but it's been a rocky road of trying to figure out the best way to do that. I love that idea, by the way, totally on board. Will buy. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Well, you know, it's fun for me because literally our response When people try our lotion for the first time is some form of OMG. (laughs) And so it's really, I like, I never tire of that. You know, I can be having a bad day and and somebody will will say to their friend, oh my God, you've got to try this. This is amazing. And I will never get tired of hearing that. But 
to be able to take that and then to have the CBD would be even better. In terms of products like CBD lotion, what other sorts of product avenues and just niche things are you expecting to see more of over the next like half decade per se? Well, my tea maker that I've been working with for so long, literally, I haven't even tried it yet, has said, I've created the seventh tea for you. And we've really skirted around because we don't have nuts in our chocolate. Like, do we ever want to introduce products that have nuts? So just about every time when I'm ready to pull the trigger and go nuts, I've had a customer or two or three talk about, you know, we're so appreciative that you don't. So I've been guilted into staying that way. But um, this team might be the deal that breaks that apart because he has an extraordinary palate as far as my tea maker. And I really trust him. I haven't tried the tea yet myself, but we may go nuts. I won't make you reveal any steep secrets, but what is the nut that you're worried about? Well, so what it is, like, so we don't do any dairy, even in our truffles. Because I'm, you know, what happened with my daughter is that she tried something that had a lot of things that never needed to be in that product to begin with. And so, so much of my own personal philosophy is the fewest and best ingredients. And so if you don't really need something like milk solids or vanillin or things like that, don't put them in there. And so I've had people jokingly call me the no chocolate company. Well, one, because I didn't start with chocolate, but also because I don't do milk chocolate. I don't do even milk and cream in our truffles. We do an olive oil or water ganache truffle because I spend so much time finessing over the beans and the flavor of the beans that I really want that to be the showcase. And so because of that, we've had a lot of people attracted to us that have allergens and have problems with other types of ingredients, right? They're vegan or they are lactose intolerant or all of these sorts of things. And so because of that, we've had a lot of people gravitate to us and be really thankful that we don't have all these other ingredients. So with the nuts... Right. Once you go nuts, you go nuts is the way, what I like to say is that because people can be so allergic, it ha- you have to be very, very careful because I think the worst case scenario in my, you know, you think everything that could go wrong, harming somebody would, I just, I don't know that I could live with myself. I would feel really badly if somebody were ever harmed by something that I make or that maybe chocolate makes. So that's why it's really a big deal for me if we're going to go nuts. Yeah, the free from movement has definitely picked up steam, especially over the last five or six years. Yeah. I left the U.S. for a few years in um, end of 2016, and I came back and suddenly everyone had almond milk or oat milk or cashew milk. There were all these alternatives to dairy that were really not widely available until probably 2018 or 2019 while I was still living abroad. It's yeah, it's like crazy. having a cafe, we see that. Like, you know, we do golden milk, M-Y-L-K, you know, yeah. with alternative <laughs> milks and things like that. And, yeah. you know, part of that, too, is I've been extremely fortunate to have amazing baristas working in each other. You know, Seattle does somewhat have a coffee scene, you could say. Um, and so we've had really talented, creative baristas that have said, like, hey, can we try this drink? And I'll say why don't you make me one and let me, and let's figure it out. And 
there has not been one where I thought was mediocre. What they put together has been really fabulous. So it's really been these leaps and bounds of creativity that they brought to it. And it's really fun to see that. And it's really nice to be able to offer things to people that have a lot of restrictions in what they can and can't do uh, dietarily. So in that respect, it's been it's been fun to have these limitations. Uh, um, and how do you make something extraordinary yet not use cream in your cuffles? And things like that. Like we just worked with for Valentine's Day, there was a port company, a company that makes port locally, and they said, "Would you? Could we do something with you for Valentine's Day with port?" And I was like, "Could we make a port truffle? Because I love port too, <laughs> you know." And so things like that, you know, and it's both that collaboration and also that stretching, that creativity of creating new things. And so they loved it so much for Valentine's. They said, "Can we do this ongoing?" Uh, was a discussion we had today, and we said, "Absolutely, let's do it." So it's that for me, the restrictions help more people. But at the same time, we have a lot of people that come in and say, do you have anything with nuts? And, uh, you know, that's a hard one for me, too, because nuts and chocolate are great. And so um, it's something as a business owner and an entrepreneur that I, I struggle with as far as which way to go, personally. But it's also super admirable how you've gone about building your business through partnerships. I mean, a rising tide lifts all boats, as they say. I mean, yeah. Can you tell me more about how that path of kind of community involvement as a way to build a business came about? Yeah. Uh, well, Nelson, my team maker, I mean, he walked in when I first came into the market. I did a pop-up in the Pike Place market for the holidays. And he came in and he said, hey, what did you think about a cacao tea? And I didn't know who he was. He was part of the program through Washington Cash that is a program that's all about helping launch new businesses in in Seattle and in Washington. And it's a really, uh, they have a store there and he just put his teas in the store there, walked across the hallway and into Indie Chocolate and thought, huh, this would be a cool thing to make tea with. And that was what started that spark of that conversation. And over six months of working date, you know, uh, several times a week, he would bring in several different teas and we would taste them. And for over six months, I would criticize everything that he brought in until he brought in eight teas and six of them are the ones we have today. And so it's having people like Nelson that are really good and nuanced and understand what they do and taking it to a level that we're both challenging ourselves on a regular basis to create something that is extraordinary. You know, I just had somebody order four lavender teas in Virginia, and she said, this is how I take care of myself through COVID. And that's the sort of thing that as an entrepreneur and as a person, as a human being, that really makes me happy that we've created something that touches people and helps people. And that that's her, that's her way of, of coping is that she wakes up in the morning and that's the first thing that she has. And that she says, you know, if it's a bad day, I generally have one before I go to bed too. Aww. But that's, you know, like that to me is like, that's why I love doing what I do. And it's an honor is the way I feel to be able to, to create something that helps people. Could you tell me more about your involvement with sleepychocolate.org? Yeah. Um, 
Anne Riggs is is really the the force behind slavefreetalk.org. And I have so much respect for her because she took on a topic. You know, she doesn't own a chocolate company. She's completely independent. She doesn't get paid for what she does, but she, you know, she realized that this was a really important topic. It really wasn't on anyone's radar and that there was a lot of putting the problems where people wouldn't see them. And she really realized that it's important it's an important issue to not continue a lot of the things that happened under colonization and, and colonial times. And, you know, cacao like coffee has had some really ugly history in its, in its past regarding slavery. And it's one of the few things that actually still has slavery in it to this day, two days before Valentine's day, February 12th, a new lawsuit against the seven large chocolate makers in the U S was filed in, in the courts. Indie Chocolate was a signer on of the case against Nestle for the child slavery that's in front of the Supreme Court right now. Slave-Free Chocolate and uh, Terry Collinsworth, who I was on a call with today, are both people that have really understood the human impact of what the large chocolate companies have continued. And that is, right now, there are children that are being kidnapped, that are being taken across international borders, and are working on cow farms where they don't speak the language. They have nobody in their family or friends that they know that work there, that are not being paid, that are in slave conditions. Terry Collinsworth can tell you about the slaves that brought this case against Nestle that's in the Supreme Court, where machetes were used to cut their feet so they couldn't run away. I mean, there, there are atrocities. And so there are people that really took a stand to do the right thing. And Anne not only did that, but one of the things that I think is really innovative that she did is she created a list of more sustainable chocolate companies. Because one of the things that she realized is that consumers get really tired of hearing the bad. Right. It's really hard, especially like now in COVID, even more so to continue to hear these horror stories. And we want to have something we can feel good about. Chocolate is something amazing to feel good about when it's done correctly. Uh, and it makes us feel great. But the thing that she did was she said, OK, if we don't want them to have child slavery in their supply chain, if they're making chocolate, which is what the big companies are doing. Why don't we give consumers better options? And so she created this list of organizations, of, of companies that don't have child slavery in their supply chain and also that don't make payments to people or companies that are having these atrocities in their supply chain, right? And so her brainchild was to not only try to eradicate the bad, but also give a better option for people that want to be good consumers. And so I have said to her, you know, hey, if there's anything that I can do, not because I want to sell more chocolate bars, not that selling more chocolate bars is bad, but really the issue is there are atrocities that need to be eliminated in our industry, full stop. So from your involvement and from your understanding, what could a general consumer do this week to help change these situations? Well, I like to say, put your money where your mouth is. And that is, you know, we as Americans, especially, 
have a habit of buying certain types of chocolate that are available, widely distributed, and cheap. And that's not always the best thing for the planet and for the people on the planet. And so I would say, look at the list that Anne has put together for slavefreechocolate.org and choose wisely because you don't have to give up chocolate. We don't want you to give up chocolate, but you can definitely make better choices that don't harm people or planet. Not to play the devil's advocate here or anything, but I've heard some people compare the situation in West Africa and Central America to that of of cattle in that there will always be a sector of the industry, just like the meat industry, built off of exploitation of the helpless in the name of cheap final products. What would you say to people who believe that that is just a byproduct of some people winning, is that some people will always lose? I think we have a very big pie, and I think we have the ability to make our pie even bigger. I don't think that it has to be one person wins and one person loses. I think that we can all do well. And I think that, you know, one of the things is that people look at cheap, right? If you want something that's quality and does right, it's not going to be cheap. And so it doesn't mean that it has to be exclusive. But one of the things that I love about dark chocolate is that it's so much more satisfying, right? People will look and say like, oh, that's not that huge, but it's really not about quantity. The more fillers and the more cheapening that you do of your chocolate, the less satisfying it is. Because what we really love is the stuff that's in cacao and really good cacao tastes great. And that's what keeps me going as far as wanting to find great tasting beans and make chocolate and, and do really fun things with chocolate and cacao is that the good stuff is satisfying. Instead of buying quantity at cheap prices is look at something that's going to be a lot more satisfying, a lot better for people and planet and choose wisely. Choose something that's dark that you're not going to necessarily snarf down, you know, in before you uh, finish your show that you're watching on Netflix sort of thing, but really savor it and enjoy it. And, and I think that's one of the things that I love about chocolate is that it does bring us joy. It is pleasurable and it's legal. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I think that it's a great treat. And, you know, thankfully there are big companies, much bigger budgets than I have that can field studies and things like that, that, you know, there's been a lot of really positive indicators on some of these studies about dark chocolate as well and cacao. So, you know, I hope that that, I hope that part continues because um, it does seem to be a, a treat that, that gives back in good ways when you choose wisely. Yeah, I, I interviewed a, an author from London about six months ago who had some very interesting points to share about the merits of cacao just as a botanical medicinal food and how mindfulness yes. and just enjoying the food as we're eating it can play a huge role in how the good effects of cacao can actually work within our bodies. Absolutely. I mean, it's the highest source naturally occurring magnesium in any plant, right, that, that we eat. There's a lot of trace minerals in it. The thing that's always been surprising to me um, being at Indie Chocolate is the number of people that we have that are regulars for us that are extreme athletes. 
And at first I found that really interesting. And then I could see like, and, and word of mouth travels. And, and so we get a lot on, online now too, but we have extreme runners, like, you know, ultra marathon runners, uh, people that do these extreme sports. And I think that a lot of that has to do is one, they care about what they eat and want quality, but also because dark, uh, dark chocolate and cacao have some really amazing things going on in them. I mean, I think that it's, good as well to keep balance on this is that you know i don't believe there's anything as raw cacao and i think that there are people that try to take advantage of people on health claims i don't ever want to do that i want people to love what i do on the merits of how it tastes and how great it is the fact that you, that it's that it may have some attributes that are, are really good for you and the other parts of that are just an added bonus as far as i'm concerned but really i think that the taste, the experience, and taking time to savor it and being mindful about it is really enjoyable and really adds to and enhances the experience. Zeroing back in on Seattle and your work within your own local community, what sort of projects have you been worked on working on in the last year or two? I would have to say my biggest honor has been working with Community Carrot. Uh, the founder of Community Carrot several years ago, came in to Indie Chocolate and it was a really busy Saturday and I brought him out his drink. And I always love to ask people because we get people from all around the world when COVID's not happening at Indie Chocolate. And so I always love to ask people, so where are you from? And he said, oh, I just moved to Seattle from DC. Oh, cool. What brings you to DC? Oh, my wife's job brought us. We just transferred over and I got to talk to him and, and he said, yeah, I, I started this program that I'm really interested in start in relaunching here in Seattle. I started it in DC called Community Carrot. And it's about giving opportunity youth the path to entrepreneurship for people that are entrepreneurial mindset uh, and really don't have the resources and mentorship to start their own business, to really empower them and to educate them, give them the resources, give them mentorship, give them the wraparound services that they may need. And so I was just enthralled. And I said, he was going to be meeting with the YMCA here in Seattle about it. And I said, let me know how the meeting goes. I, I want to work with you. I think this is a, this is fabulous. I, I think this is a great idea. And so we were able to do our first cohort in Seattle under the auspices of the YMCA Accelerator Program here in Seattle, which is a very unique program because they provide all the wraparound services. So if somebody needs housing because they're homeless, Somebody has drug addiction, somebody needs medical care, somebody has mental health uh, needs. All of those services are available. And it was extremely uh, wonderful experience. Actually, we've had meetings for the board at Indie Chocolate. We've had classes at Indie Chocolate for the cohorts. And the thing that was really wonderful was to also be a mentor. And I'm still in contact with my mentee. He launched his business as Sustainable clothing company called Kamikoze in at Indie Chocolate. And other people from that cohort were there to celebrate his launch, as well as one of them was a DJ, some of the others sang at it. And it was really just the community coming together to support him in the launch of his business. And they've continued to be there. And so to be able to help people has been really, really wonderful. And just the people in the program themselves uh, are extraordinary. My mentee, Mohamedou, is an extraordinary person and just has come so far to be the person that he is. 
and to be able to envision a dream and make it. It's been really wonderful. And so I've been working with the, the founder as far as our curriculum for our next two cohorts. We got, uh, we got uh, some funding for our next two cohorts, so we're really excited by that. And just being able to get this really off the ground and start to scale it is what I'm really honored to be a part of and, and really looking forward to. That's so cool. How long ago was this encounter with community care? I'm trying to remember. <laughs> I, I know it was over three years it ago happens. when we first met. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it just, and he's just such, the founder is like such a wonderful person. He was living in a very depressed part of DC and realized that there were a lot of people that just, you know, they're very entrepreneurial in mindset, but didn't have any legal option to start a business. It, because you know, I think that this is coming to light more and more with Black Lives Matter and, and these types of movements. But funding, if you're not a white male, it's not easy getting your business funded. You may be able to get some mentorship and things like that, but the, the access to capital is really difficult. And so there are all kinds of advantages that come to certain communities that don't happen for others. And so I think that one of the important things is not just social equity but economic equity as well and and giving people the opportunity to really go and grow my last sort of question or topic that i wanted to bring up is that march is women's history month and you've been very vocal about supporting women farmers and makers so going back to new creators who are trying to build their own cacao businesses right now, do you have any ideas for chocolate makers looking to support more female-owned businesses and female involvement at Origin? Yeah. So, you know, a couple things on that. One is that one of the programs that I think has been really fascinating to watch has been what what we've done as far as the U.S., as far as what we've done in Peru. And one of the things that we've done is we've put investment in very smart ways that have really created some amazing positive outcomes. And one of that is USAID has put money into a program they call COCA, which is cocaine, to cacao. And so they've taken these areas, there's a study called, a report called The Miracle of San Martin about this. And what they've done is they've really had a very good vision where they've said, okay, these are places where the shining path and the drug problems are, are really awful and people are being kidnapped and killed and it's violent and it's awful and it's around coca. Uh, that, you know, the drug trade is really creating this, this very awful place for people. And so what if we were to go in and say, hey, we'd like to help you. We understand that this is non-ideal living situations. And what if we were to give you uh, incentives to grow cacao instead? And what's happened is the, you know, when I first started going to some of these areas, I kid you not, I would get off a bus and I would walk through armed guards on either side to go have a meeting. It was because it was narco controlled. I can go to those areas myself now. I don't need security. There's been a transformation and chocolate is at the heart of it. And so what I think is that through smart investment and through smart programs, 
where we really give people opportunity. People are very smart and resourceful. If we give them the opportunity to do well and to do good, they do. And so what I would like to see is more investment and more use of really going after ways to help people that allow them to help themselves and grow. And where I've seen the women making chocolate more and more has been Peru. And I think there are more women chocolate makers in Peru than there are in the United States when I was last in Peru. I like to say that one of my favorite titles I've ever been given is Chocolatera, which means a woman chocolate maker. And it was from a woman in Peru that was saying that to me. And I, I, that to me was just really beautiful. The thing that I hope too, is that we really currently in West Africa have some atrocities of exploitation. And I would love to see chocolate be the solution. I would like to see the ability. I would personally love the ability to work with women chocolate makers, women farmers, and turn them into chocolate makers in places like the Ivory Coast and Ghana, because women, when given the opportunity, really make extraordinary gains. I don't think that we have a small pie and that some people are going to be winners and losers. I think that that's a very small mindset. I absolutely agree. It's it's a very complex context around the situation in Peru with terrorism and the exploitation of coca, which had and has a rich history as an herbal medicine, but has been exploited to the extreme over the last hundred years. But there is absolutely there, there's a lot of uh, statistical data on your side when you speak to the fact that women, when given opportunities like that, when given responsibilities with finances in the household tend to spend money more responsibly than men. Yes, absolutely. And I think that there really is an opportunity. I just think that we need to have really the will and the willingness to make it happen. And, you know, that's where I say, put your money where your mouth is, as far as what you buy, as far as chocolate, you know, there's a group in Peru, Michigan Cacao that, they came together as a mom's group and decided to take up this opportunity to start growing and eventually making chocolate. They've been to the Salon de Chocolat in Paris and won awards. Peru really worked with the U.S. government on both sides of that. And I think that also, you know, you mentioned about the coca. And yes, there is a cultural component. Yes, there still is coca around. But the thing that's made the difference is, Chocolate has become more of an economic reality for people to make positive change and to not have to live under the violence of others in the drug trade. Yes, that was very well summed up. Is there anything else that you would like to share that you feel like you haven't had the opportunity to share yet? Oh, I'm sure as soon as I hang up, I will be like, oh! <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that always how it goes? Oh, absolutely, especially for me. No, I mean, I just think that I'm glad to be part of a growing community of artisan chocolate makers. I think that there are some really great people in the community, and I'm, I'm really thankful for that. Um, and I also think that we can do well by helping each other, but also by working together to, to grow the artisan community, because I think that the environmental practices and the uh, labor practices and the, and the people are much more important in the artisan community because it's not just about making a cheap chocolate bar and paying huge dividends to, to shareholders. 
I would like to see our community come together to do even more good in the world. And, and that's something that inspires me to continue to work together and grow the community. Thank you so much for listening to this extended interview from Chocolate on the Road. If you liked it, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts. In fact, please share it in any way you see fit. Your support makes all the effort put into each episode worth it. And a special huge thank you to Erin for being here with all of us today. To learn more about Indie Chocolate, check out the show notes for this episode at the link in the description or on my website at damecacao.com. That's D-A-M-E-C-A-C-A-O dot C-O-M. Have a wonderful day, and I hope you'll join me next time we go on the road. 